I hadn't so much as put the glass to my lips when the door swung open, the street noise momentarily heightened, and we looked up to see who it was coming in with the wind. Surprisingly, it was St. Ives's man Hasbro, who should have been in Chinkford tending the home fires, so to speak, and collecting the post. Alice, Mrs. St. Ives, was in Scarborough with St. Ives' children, little Eddie and his sister Cleo. My own wife Dorothy had gone along, the lot of them staying with Alice's ancient grandmother, which explains how St. Ives and I had come to be temporarily bachelorized. Hasbro had the air of a man in a hurry, not his usual demeanour, and you can imagine that we were suddenly anxious to hear him out. Without a word, however, he produced from his coat a recent copy of Merton's catalogue of rarities, and opened it to a folded page, which he passed across to St. Ives, who read the piece aloud. There was offered for sale a hand-drawn map of a small area of the Morecambe Sands, the location not identified. The map, according to the catalogue copy, was stained with water-weeds, tobacco, and salt rime, was torn, soiled, and ill-drawn as if by a child, was signed with the letter K and the crude figure-eight drawing of a cuttlefish, and was offered for sale for two pounds six, of questionable value, Merton had added, but perhaps interesting to the right party. Merton had found the right party and had doubtless expected to find it, because he had sent the catalogue out to St. Ives Manor by messenger, not suspecting, of course, that the professor was already in London. St. Ives stood up abruptly from his chair and uttered the words, Crocken's map, or I'm a fried whiting. He slid the catalogue into his coat and, along with the waiting Hasbro, strode towards the door, shouting a hasty goodbye to Bilson, who gestured his farewell with the carving knife. Never a potato did I eat, I'm sad to say, and the same for Tubby Frobisher, who was fast on my heels, although the man could have had no idea what any of this meant. Night was falling and the temperature with it, as if the world had tilted and spring had slid back into winter. Lambert Court was deserted, aside from a working man in dungarees, who was inordinately tall and sneery, lounging on a pile of excavated dirt and rock with the air of a man having avoided a day's work. Twenty minutes earlier there had been two of them, the other squat and with dangling heavy arms, and the comical contrast between the two had stayed in my mind.